Wednesday, July 22nd here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York, and you are joining us for the first episode of a brand new podcast. I am still your host, Matt Schaaf, but there's no Jared Smola today. Instead, I've got Adam Krautwurst riding shotgun, and this is episode one of our new pod geared toward high-stakes fantasy football. First off, Adam, how's it going with you today? Matthew, thanks for having me. Uh, it's going really well. Uh, it's pouring rain here in Rochester, but I'm um, super excited to talk high-stakes with you. Yeah, we were supposed to have a birthday party outside for my son today with a few friends, and uh, we made the same plan last Thursday, and both of those days, it's been pouring. It's been sunny and baking everything every other day, but That's right. every time we want to have a party outside, it's, it's raining. It's the worst. But we'll switch gears off of that and get to the stuff that people actually want to hear about. And, you know, we're focusing on high stakes, so let's start with the basics. I, I think most people listening probably know what we're talking about when we say high stakes, but basically, high stakes fantasy football just means people are paying bigger entry fees and there are bigger prizes available. Yeah, so that's that, that's essentially it. So high stakes could probably mean different things to different people. High stakes would be, you know, any league maybe that's over $1000 uh, for the entry fee. Hopefully I'll get to the point in my life where that's that's chump change, you know what I mean? <laughs> but but um for now that's it. And then obviously and then I know a lot of guys and me this year too playing a little more um high volume. So if you know, I think if you're in like for the football guys for example, if you're in maybe 10 of those leagues, that's, you know, 3,500 bucks. So I think that would be considered high stakes as well. But yeah, I think to each person, it's kind of, kind of a little bit different. Yeah. And the football guys championship is $350 an entry. So it's generally talked about as medium stakes or mid stakes, but certainly if you're doing four, five, 10 of those, that gets to be pretty high stakes. Even if each individual team doesn't qualify high stakes started with Draft Sharks founder Lenny Papano and Emil Cadillac starting the uh, World Championship of Fantasy Football many years ago. So it's something that Draft Sharks has been tied to for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I obviously have been a part of that for forever and ever. And um, that was just a one day event too. Now it's, you know, it's a couple days, it's a couple weeks. Now they're doing slow drafts with it. So you can pretty much find them everywhere. And of course, even, you know, a place like FFPC is running smaller stakes, best ball drafts. So you can draft with people that will be doing main events. Even if you're not quite ready to jump into that, you can compete with others who are playing high stakes and maybe see how you fare in that realm. I think it's important to look at the key differences because now that there are so many different formats being played in fantasy, it's important to know that not every league is the same. You can't approach everyone the same, even if you're initially, you know, competing against 11 other teams for starters, you know, for, for what you're trying to win initially, there's high stakes, there's best ball drafting, and there's just the common redraft leagues that we've all started on. What to you are are some kind of the, the big differences between high stakes and these other formats that we play? Yeah, so I guess I'll start with um, the last one you said, like the comment-sized redraft leagues. To those um, where it's just everything's in a vacuum to that one league, all the prize money goes to that one league. Uh, generally, for those, I'll just draft. I'll draft like I have one one team. You know, I'll go in there. I'll draft. You know, the best team that I can possibly draft. I'll take the players that I think are going to do the best for those. Best ball, kind of the same thing, unless it's a unless it's a tournament format. I'll do. I'll, you know, I'll do the same thing. Just go in there, prep like it's one league. Like you're not trying to win. 
uh, against thousands of guys. But I think the big difference for playing in these big tournaments um, is you want to get certain shares of players. You want to get certain shares of teams, depending on, again, I guess that depends on how many entries you're, you're going to put in. So for for example, I'm, uh, I do the football guys and I'm uh, doing a lot of volume this year in that I don't know how many I'm going to end up doing, but right now I'm at 20 or 21 drafts. So with that is, you know, if I have the number one pick in every draft, I'm not going to take all of the same guys because I want exposure to other players, exposure to other teams. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to have the number. I think I've had the number one pick one time in, in the 21 drafts. But yeah, so you want to you want to get exposure to the teams that you like, to the players that you that you like. But you also want to make the team, you want to differentiate it from other teams that you're competing against. So you don't want to have the same team as 25 other teams. It's very similar to, to DFS in that, in that effect is in order to win the big grand prize, which is, you know, half a million dollars. I think this is the first year they've done half a million for football guys. Um, if you want to win that, you got to have a team that not a lot of other teams have. So um, it's different from DFS in the sense that you can do waivers during the year and stuff like that. But it's the same as where you want to kind of have different rosters. Um, and the great thing, so Fantasy Mojo offers a lot of great FFPC features. And and one of the things that they offer is the stack finder. So you can plug players that you've drafted or maybe players that you want to draft into their stack finder. And it'll tell you how many other teams in the football guys have uh, those players or specific stacks. Um, so... So kind of for an example, my one of the teams that I drafted, I had the first overall pick. I took Christian McCaffrey, and then I came back around to the turn, and I didn't love any of the players there. And this was early on. This was probably in like May. And I took uh, Patrick Mahomes and Nick Chubb at, at the turn. And uh, when you plug that into the stack finder, I'm actually the only team in the competition so far that has that roster so far uh, constructed, uh, which is pretty cool. Nick Chubb's kind of moved up earlier in the second round. Uh, Mahomes kind of goes all over, you know, early second, late third. But to be able to have that specific stack that no one else has, that could give me a big leg up if those three guys hit and the rest of my team does well. Yeah, that's a really nice price on Nick Chubb in particular. And I think that's a good example to bring up because not, you know, obviously it's the case if you're playing high volume, you want to differentiate your teams from your other teams so that you're not just taken down by a certain guy or two getting hurt or just having a bad season. But even if you're only doing one entry or two entries, you're trying to beat a field of thousands of other teams. So you're you're probably going to need somebody to pop, you know, somebody, some player or two that dramatically outperforms his draft position to lead you to, you know, the big money finishes in that competition. Yeah, it's really hard. I would almost, you know, I don't know, I would almost tell people if you're not going to go fairly high volume in the, in the football guys to probably not really do it because the the payouts for each league specifically aren't that high most of the money goes to those big to that big grand prize at the end and in order to win that it's probably very rare that someone has one or two entries in that there's there's 10,000 teams so if you're that guy who's got one or two entries and you end up taking down that half million dollar prize that's that's really impressive and really really hard to do so unless you're going to do maybe five to 10 or even more teams because you really want to get exposure to all different types of players. And that's what I would, I would recommend doing. And then within that, I would say differentiating doesn't mean trying to be different with every single pick you make, but like with the examples you pointed out before, finding things that not every team has having a few picks mixed in that seek out the high upside guys that have a chance to give you that pop that you need. Yeah, exactly. And again, the cool thing, so you get your draft position before the draft. I would recommend going into the to the stacker and just plugging in, okay, guys that, that you're targeting, 
go into the stacker, plug the guys in, and see how many other teams have that have those stacks. And that can well, if you plug in a couple players, like oh man, seventy five teams have this these three or four picks starting off the draft. It's like ah, eh, maybe I'll instead of taking Robert Woods in the fourth, maybe I'll take um, you know a different receiver or something like that. So yeah, you definitely want to want to differentiate yourself, but but I also want to pick the right guys too. Adam, I don't know if you can come on this pod and tell people to not take Robert Woods in round four. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to lower the price on him a little bit. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. So you told us about uh, how many teams in you are this season. How long have you been playing this high and medium stakes uh, level of fantasy football? Yeah, so I've probably been in the football guys tournament for about ten years now. But just recently, probably the last two years, I've done nine, nine or ten football guys drafts. This year, I'm probably going to do between twenty and thirty. I'll probably really start to slow down coming up here with the main event coming up and a bunch of other stuff. So I've been doing that forever. The the, the main event I've probably done for seven years now. Um, started off doing one team and now uh, this year I've got three registered so far and I might do a couple more. But as far as uh, the main event, I've been doing it for about seven or eight years now. So with all that invested in fantasy entry fees, your wife must either really like you or really not like you, huh? <laughs> well, I actually have to, she never believes how well I do. So I, I started keeping a spreadsheet <laughs> last year and last year was the perfect year, you know, coming in fifth in the main event to be able to say, see, I told you, I always, I always, yeah. make, I always make money. So um, she's, she's a little bit easier on me now. <laughs> yeah. She's like repeats or it didn't happen. That's right. It's right. <laughs> the time that you've played, do you feel like you have changed the way you approach this format? Probably not approaching. It's probably stayed the same. I've I've always relied on Draft Sharks has always been my kind of my my go to spot using the MVP board. You guys do really well with that. Um, but I think more of just being more more confident. You know, being willing to reach for my guys and also just to kind of trust myself um, and kind of what I see and what I feel over the rankings. Like obviously the, the, the MVP board's excellent. You know, I know you guys have won awards over the years for your projections, but you know, there's comes a certain point in the draft where you're like, man, I really, you know, I really like my guy here. You know, there's nothing worse than when you pass on your guy for someone that a cheat sheet tells you to take. And then your guy ends up going bananas doing really well. So I think just over the years, just having the confidence to kind of trust myself to make the pick. And I think that's a good point, even as, you know, one of the main people putting the rankings into the MVP board. I, whenever I'm talking to people about specific players and who they might like a little bit better than we like, you should absolutely not pick who we recommend at every turn. No matter how prepared or experienced any drafter is, we are all going to be wrong about some things. And it's going to sting a whole lot more if you you're wrong by going with the player that we tell you to take and the player that you wanted to take is the one that that goes off. If that happens in the reverse, if you take your guy and it turns out we were right, you can be like, all right, I guess next time I'll listen to Draft Sharks here. So I, I always try to say, listen, this is the way I would go, but if you really feel strongly about that guy, go ahead and take him because it, ultimately it's going to be your team. I'm not going to win or lose anything with your specific team. Definitely, I think the the primary rule for fantasy is make sure that when you finish a draft, it is your team. Absolutely, I think that's that's exactly what I was what I was saying. Is just there's nothing there's not a worse feeling than when your guy goes great, and and that's 
it's a week to week thing too with setting lineups. You know, you guys put out the who to start, who to sit, and you know everybody does that. And it's just those are the hardest decisions sometimes. And uh, I just recommend taking the guy that you know you think personally is going to do the best. Those are the decisions that crush me too. Is when somebody asks me who I start between two guys, and I say one, I and then the other oh. goes off. <laughs> those are the worst. Those stick with me all season. I can still recall some from from years back. That's right. I, I believe it. So you mentioned finishing fifth in the main event of the FFPC last year. What went right for that team? Yeah, basically, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson. I mean, that was pretty much all all I needed to uh, to make some money. You know, I wanted Lamar. So I had three main event teams last year. I wanted him on all three. But, you know, the, the difficult thing about the main event is once that happens, man, everyone just starts again taking their guys and they're willing to reach. And so he went um, earlier than than I expected in uh, my two other ones. So I got Lamar in like the 10th or 11th as my number one quarterback. And then we had the, I had the third overall pick and I actually had McCaffrey as my number one running back going into the year last year. So I was the third pick I loved because that's usually where he was going. So I preferred the third pick over the first pick. And obviously McCaffrey had a, had a crazy year. So those, those two guys carried me. I think another thing that went right was once the, once the fantasy playoffs hit weeks of 14, 15, and 16 there. All my guys just started to really click and really hit, hit it off. So I had Tyler Boyd. I had uh, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. And those guys uh, in the fantasy playoffs went went crazy. Devonta Freeman, you know, he didn't have a great year. I took him in, I took him in the third round, and I'm not I'm not super proud of the pick, but I think mm-hmm. that he, he ended up being like a top 20 running back, I think. So, yeah, I think it was 20th. Um, and I think he was even higher in points per game because he missed two games. So he ended up having an, an insane uh, playoff run, especially uh, – week 16 yeah week 16 was re- was really fun i was 29th going overall going into the final week and you know it's funny because you know my kids don't care about this stuff so like you know i ended up taking them to a movie i think we saw like star wars right so i'm in the theater thinking oh you know maybe i'll come in 20th or something like that and i'm in the theater watching red zone on my phone just watching <laughs> tyler boyd in overtime against the dolphins putting up like 36 fantasy points it's just and i'm like watching the rankings going like my gosh, I could win a half a million dollars here. So that was, that was, it was super fun. I think there were down stretches of that final star Wars movie where it was probably good to have something else to watch. Huh? I can't even remember anything <laughs> from the movie, to be honest with you. <laughs> As somebody who was watching the latest star Wars without an FFPC lineup to watch, I can, I can say, I kind of wish that I had something else to focus on for certain stretches of the movie. The, the yeah, movie that's, that, that's, that's what I heard. <laughs> McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson are a couple of good examples. Cause you know, both obviously popped and carried a lot of teams last year, but they were very different heading in. You know, McCaffrey well outperformed his draft position, even though he was a top five pick. So he can be a reminder that it doesn't have to be this crazy pick that nobody's considering that that pops and carries you. And then Lamar Jackson, for me personally, is a reminder to, even if I'm hesitant to go too early on a guy to at least recognize the ultimate upside if he does hit his ceiling. Cause that's what I didn't give Lamar Jackson enough credit for last year. I, I think we all looked at him and said, yeah, he's going to be really good running the ball. I have no idea how the passing's going to go. So I don't want to take him in QB one range, but you know, that ignores if things do 
just go that well, I mean, obviously the upside goes all the way to the top of the position. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I always hear people say like, you know, you can't you can't win your league in the first round, but you can lose it. Well, now you can win your league in the first round. McCaffrey was it was a league winner. Chris Godwin was going in the fourth, fifth round, so he was he was pretty good at that too. So yeah, you can find kind of league winning players all all over the place, but even in the first round, as as McCaffrey kind of showed there, and, and we'll talk more in the pod down the road uh, in mm-hmm. August about maybe some of our like our league winning type players and what what rounds you could find them in. Yeah, I would say just keep upside in mind as you're deciding on players, not just the straight projections that, that set the rankings. Exactly. Along the way, not just last year, but but overall in your time, can you remember any big mistakes as you've played this high stakes format? So last year specifically, you know, I think the biggest mistake, and it was and it's funny because it's just it's one it doesn't seem huge, but then it ends up affecting. So week one last year, I ended up deciding to not start Sammy Watkins. You know, they were playing I forget who they were playing against, but Jacksonville. Um, there you go. Oh yeah, that's right. It was Jacksonville, which had you know a pretty good defense going going into the year. At least they still had Jalen Ramsey there, and I decided not to start Sammy Watkins, and he goes off for like forty six points. We mm-hmm. won three touchdowns, nine catches, just goes bananas. And then Tyreek Hill gets hurt during the game. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm never going to lose a game all year because now I got Sammy Watkins to add to my, you know, he wasn't a starter for, for me to add to the rest of my team. And I just, so the mistake of not starting him week one and then not benching him for like two months where he just didn't literally do anything. I don't think he had a wide receiver two week for, you know, maybe, maybe once uh, eight weeks after that. So it doesn't sound like a big deal, but when, you know, you go into the main event playoffs with your league average uh, point score. So like if I averaged 146 points a week during the season, that's what I start my playoff run with. And um, I came in fifth place. I lost out on fourth place by 0.4 points. Um, it, yeah. Aaron Jones scored that like 47 yard meaningless touchdown in the fourth quarter of that Monday night game, which cost me thousands of dollars. But yeah, so just starting Sammy Watkins week one would have given me, you know, at least a point or two more on my average score to go into that, which would have put me over the hump for fourth, maybe even third. So it's, you know, every mistake is magnified so big in these, in the, in, in the main event, who you start, who you sit, so I, I think if I could go back and do anything, I would have started him week one and then benched him the re- and then just dropped him actually the rest of the season. I did the same thing in DFS. I remember Jared and I talked about Sammy Watkins in week one as an option. And then I just ended up not using him. And of course he exploded. And then after that, and with Tyreek Hill down, I was like, all right, well, Sammy Watkins' price is still good and he's bound to do something again. And I just kept sticking with it, even though he just kept being allergic to the end zone. So I, I, I rode with you to a much lesser degree. But I, I can still remember how the first part of the Sammy Watkins season went, though. Uh, so gross. So awful. We will be running this high-stakes podcast throughout the season. Of course, you know, the rest of the summer and into the regular season, we'll certainly be looking at drafting trends throughout the summer, trying to avoid mistakes, and then trying to help you navigate your in-season team management once the NFL games, we hope, begin. Of course, I think there's value to this area, even if you're not necessarily playing in high-priced, high-stakes, whatever leagues. Adam, high-stakes players to me are clearly serious about fantasy football. Otherwise, you know, why invest so much money? And almost always are highly experienced fantasy players. It's not like people who just have money to burn. They're like, oh, let's see, maybe I'll just enter this football contest. So I think even if you're not throwing down the entry fees, there are lessons, there are tips that you can draw from um, looking at how high stakes leagues are operating, looking at how the players are drafting and seeing, just seeing what's happening. 
Right. So high stakes, you know, they are serious players, obviously, and they are usually experienced. Now, being serious and being experienced doesn't necessarily make you make you good, but I think that those are obviously two things that that high stakes players have. And with experience, I think some of the best high stakes players are very are very humble. And I think you have to you have to understand that, um, or at least I you know understand that. Anyway, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not the smartest guy, you know, taking advice from other high stakes players, taking advice from, you know, sites like Draft Sharks and kind of just honing your skills, finding out what you're good at, what you're not good at. Um, you know, some some guys are really good at like projecting running backs, you know, whereas they're not great at projecting quarterbacks. So kind of knowing where your weaknesses and where your strengths are is very helpful. And we're going to try to give the listeners some tips on this podcast as to, you know, what they can do to kind of improve their game. I think another thing great about this podcast is we're going to actually walk them through what I'm actually doing. Each website talks about blind bidding and who they should pick up from, from week to week. But you know, a lot of these sites like you know ESPN, this guy's available in 80% of ESPN leagues. Well, you know, that guy was drafted in the FFPC main event. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't do me any, any good. Uh, with our podcast, we're going to go through, you know, the, the percentage of available players in these FFPC main events. And then we're going to talk about who we would add. I think we're going to get pretty specific on how much we're going to bid on them, which is an art, not a science. So I think that'll be really helpful to, to listeners because we're going to kind of tell them what we're actually doing, not what we would do or what we could do. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into that stuff because I'm not playing in the high stakes arena. I'm too much of a chicken to throw down that entry fee yet. We'll see at some point. We would also, though, love to hear any requests, suggestions, material that you listeners would like to find in the show, any areas that that you think aren't getting enough enough attention on other podcasts at this point. Really, whatever you're hoping to get out of this, um, we're open to any comments. You can hit the comments section for any of the podcast posts on DraftSharks.com. Those are always free articles. Uh, You can find both of us and DraftSharks on Twitter. Adam is at Adam underscore Krautwurst. That's spelled just like if it was a lunch meet. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F-D-S. And we are all at Draft Sharks. For today, we're going to finish up by taking a look at how Adam has been drafting in this arena so far, basically focusing on the Football Guys Championship. As you said, Adam, you've done 20 to 21 drafts there so far, right? Yeah, I've done 21 for Football Guys drafts. Still got the FFPC main event drafts on tap. And we're both going to be adding another draft against high-stakes players in a couple of weeks here because uh, earlier this week we rolled out the first-ever Draft Sharks Invitational. Five leagues, 12 teams in each league. It's loaded with a mix of fantasy analysts, high-stakes players, super flex, Best ball, real cash prizes on the line, and this was your baby, right? I play fantasy because I want to compete with the best. I want to say, hey, you know, I chose the best players. Obviously, the, the money's nice. The money's <laughs> really nice, but you know, you want to compete. And I think that you know, there's always theories out there on, hey, who's the best fantasy football player, or fantasy baseball player, or whatever. And you know, you get guys. So for the main event, for for example, you know, you got some people to put in fifty plus main event en- entries, right? So they're you know, if they make a hundred thousand dollars, but don't come in the top five or top 10, did they have a great fantasy year? Did they just have more money than, than the next guy? Whereas you got someone else who might have one or two entries in the main event and they come in third or fourth or first, you know, they didn't maybe, well, if you came in first, you made half a million, but if you come in fifth place, I think fifth place last year was like 15 grand. So if you have one main event team 
and you come in fifth place, uh, I think that's pretty darn good. You know, so who did better? You know, uh, one guy had more money, one guy had one entries. So what I wanted to do was try to figure out how, you know, can we put the best high stakes players and some of the best analysts in one room and give them one entry, draft your best team, and let's see who does the best. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I love the pros versus Joes, because it puts analysts in a room with Joes, you know, but I think Joes have won a bunch of the leagues over the last couple of years. I think Joes is definitely in air quotes at this point. Joes is in air quotes. That's right. Exactly. So, but even with the pros versus Joes, they're literally picking random Joes that are just registered for, for, for the main event. For this DraftX Invitational, we chose who we think are the best of the best as far as analysts and high stakes players. I don't think there's a competition like it. And I think whoever wins this is going to have a huge bit bragging rights going forward. And I think one of the great things about playing best ball is that it really comes down to who drafted the best team. You don't lose out by making the wrong decision between two players when you're setting your lineup in a given week. Yeah, that's that's the worst. I, I you know I don't mind because having lineup setting is is a skill, um, and I think mm-hmm. that I think that that would certainly be something to, that could differentiate some of these people. But with the type of people that are in this, you know, I've got twenty to thirty leagues. I'm trying to set lineups for. A lot of these guys have more. I know a lot of the analysts are busy, and they have a lot of leagues too. You know, lineup setting would be very difficult to be able to add to this. Um, and I wanted kind of everyone's attention on it. Yeah, and I don't have to worry about forgetting that waiver deadline and missing out on the player that I was hoping to get, as I tend to do in season. <laughs> there you go. Now, though, let's let's try to help some of these uh, DS Invitational competitors beat you, Adam, by revealing who you've been drafting on your team so far. Look at some of the players you have the most shares of, some players that you're staying away from. Let's go position by position. Quarterback first, who are you drafting the most so far? I've done 21 drafts, but I don't get all the players that I want. So obviously, these are just kind of the players that fell. But it just kind of show you kind of some ex- some exposure. But so for the quarterbacks, through 21 drafts, I have Baker Mayfield seven times, and I have Bridgewater and Goff five times each. So those are my, like my highly owned quarterbacks. I'm a, I'm a wait on quarterback guy, so I'm usually waiting in that range, you know, into the uh, you know the early teens to get my to get my quarterback. So I like Mayfield a lot just because uh, in that range of quarterbacks, he's got talent galore around him. You know, he's got he's got. A, Austin Hooper now, two great running backs all year long. The O-line is much improved. And addition by subtraction, they, they got rid of Freddie Kitchens. So I think that with Landry, you know, with OBJ, I think there's just there's got to be a top five uh, talent-wise on, on offense. And I just think that uh, you know he's just going to take an, a step up, the step that we thought he was going to take last year. So I really like um, Mayfield going forward. They're probably going to run the ball a, a little much for him to get a ton of volume, but I think he can certainly be a low-level quarterback one. And the same with same with Bridgewater. ton of talent there and golf too. Loaded with weapons galore. And I just think I've done pretty well in these tournaments by just waiting on quarterback, taking guys that have a lot of weapons around them. And, I, and, and you guys come up with a great article, um, you know, the quarterbacks and stacking them and taking late quarterbacks and matching them up with their schedules and kind of getting, um, I usually use that f- for the main event um, and kind of stacking different quarterbacks with how their schedules lay out to get yourself a quarterback one. So that's kind of how I roll with, with the quarterbacks. Yeah. I think Jared Goff's been going a little late versus even what he's already proven production wise. And he's probably a little bit better than his season fantasy numbers are because he has wide swings game to game, but they're not unpredictable. I looked at it last year, and if you play Jared Goff against weaker pass defenses, he goes off. And if you play him against 
tougher pass defenses, he's terrible. So it's kind of like the Ben Roethlisberger home road where you can get a much better version of Jared Goff if you just go in knowing the certain spots where you're going to play him and certain spots where you're going to bench him. Baker Mayfield, I mean, he was just overdrafted last year and burned so many people that now everybody wants to be out on him. He's going at a good price. He still has to have the upside into the range where many people thought he was going to finish last season. Yeah, I was out on him last year, so I wasn't burned by him. So I'm definitely higher on him probably than some people this year because I just think the talent the talent is there as far as the skill, skill guys around him. Yeah, I think that you know, fantasy drafters have gotten smarter and smarter you know, each year, not overreacting to things and, and knowing what to look at. But it's funny to what degree you still see the impact of, oh, that guy burned me last year. I'm not in on him this year. It's still out there so much. It is. And you know what? It works in the reverse too. Like like last year I was all over Chris Godwin and I was getting him in like the fourth, fifth round. And now just seeing him in like the early to mid second, I just, this makes me so sad. It's like saying goodbye to somebody, you know, you're never going to see him again. Cause I just, I have a little bit of him, but just the thought of like taking a guy in the second round that you had you know, three or four rounds later, just make me, makes you sick. Yeah, you just stand on the the deck waving your handkerchief at him as you ride off on the train. <laughs> That's right. Who are you avoiding at quarterback so far? I have taken some Lamar Jackson, some Mahomes, because again, in these tournaments, you know, you don't want to fade Jackson and Mahomes. So I do have some mm-hmm. of them, but after them, I'm not taking any quarterback till I get to usually Tom Brady in round 11 is where I'll start to start to look at quarterback again because I think Brady has insanely high upside this year with all the weapons that he has um, specifically in that group Deshaun Watson um, I don't I'm not taking Deshaun Watson um, you know he lost a Hall of Fame receiver and they added you know not great receivers you know and I just think that uh, he's really gonna gonna struggle there Randall Cobb's not gonna get him over the hump so I think that seeing him be taken over you know Dak Prescott is crazy to me so specifically avoiding him yeah for me Watson has still been going high enough that I'm not usually taking him especially if Dak Prescott's still on the board because I I definitely agree with Dak over Watson I, I do think for me though Watson is a player that I'm watching if he tumbles a little bit versus ADP because his splits when he's not been throwing to Hopkins over the past few years have actually been fairly close to what his, what his numbers are like when he's throwing to Deandre Hopkins. So I, I'm not too worried about his overall numbers. So if he slips, I'm interested. And I think when you combine Brandon cooks, a potentially healthier William, uh, Will Fuller, I almost said William, he used to be the <laughs> for the Eagle, Will Fuller, uh, you know, Randall Cobb, I think overall, there's enough there to make up for it, and I'm not too worried about Watson, but I do agree with the, the notion that in that range, I'd, I'd rather just focus on another position. Now, do those numbers, uh, when he's throwing to other receivers, do those include while Hopkins is, is on the field? Yeah, I mean, Hopkins was almost always on the field, so it certainly yeah. includes that. And, you know, it's tough to separate that out. I mean, maybe that's the case where Hopkins was helping everybody else that much. You know, maybe we'll find out this season that it's just Deshaun Watson's really good and as long as his receivers aren't terrible, he'll be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Cooks is good. You know, I mean, you're going to, and Will Fuller, I, you know, he's one of the guys I love this year, but Will Fuller is going to miss four or five games. And <laughs> Cooks is a concussion away from never playing again. So mm-hmm. um, he's going to have his spike games for, for sure. But in that range, I'm, I'm really not taking any quarterbacks in that range, but in that range, I would rather have all the other ones over. over Watson versus uh, Kyler Murray is the one where I'm more comfortable taking Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray. But I mean, more often, 
if that decision is what is there, I'm probably taking a wide receiver. Correct. Yeah. And I definitely, I definitely agree with Tom Brady. I, I, I'm surprised that he hasn't climbed, given how much focus there has been on the Bucks, and you know how much Vegas likes the Bucks' chances. I know. I, you know, uh, there's just no way he doesn't throw. If he plays 16 games, no way he doesn't throw 30 touchdowns. Especially with you know the guys. He's not even a human being. You know, he doesn't eat sugar. You know, he doesn't. Uh, you know, he only marries supermodels. So it's like the guy. He's going to play at least 60 and he's got Mike Evans and he's got Chris Godwin and Garon Kyle. He's got everybody there, you know, just, they just got to get their hands open and he's, he's going to, he's going to score. So I think that uh, Brady is, uh, I think he's definitely being undervalued. Strict diet of avocados and championships. I don't care. That's right. (laughs) Running back. Um, The most exposure that I have um, right now is to, is to, to Zach Moss. I have him seven times out of 21 drafts. So I like him because I'm not a huge Devin Singletary fan. So I am a, I'm a Bills fan. So I watch, you know, that's the team I watch the most. And I just don't think Singletary is that explosive. I don't even know if he's better than than Zach Moss. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Moss might be better and he's going six rounds later, five or six rounds later. So I think Moss has some, some standard alone value i think he could outplay singletary and i think singletary he had a hamstring injury last year he missed about four games so if singletary does go down i don't think moss has like league winning upside but i think he certainly could be a low-end rb1 or rb2 or high-end rb2 if singletary does go go down so i like moss because like i said he's got a little standalone value and he's a great handcuff there so i have him seven times i have some jalen samuel and scott uh, six times. Those are just kind of handcuff guys to me. I, I, you know, Samuel, I might end up cutting uh, before the season starts. And if the Eagles pick up another running back, uh, Scott would be in trouble. But as far as the running backs going in like the first eight to 10 rounds, um, the guys that, that really matter most, I have uh, four of Aaron Jones, Ronald Jones, and Jonathan Taylor. Aaron Jones, I don't even love. He just keeps falling to the end of the second round. And there are, again, a lot of people that I respect that really like Aaron Jones. He's you know, he's obviously not going to score 19 touchdowns again, but I think the thing that scares me is, is the coaching staff and AJ Dillon and them just, you know, pounding AJ Dillon from the, you know, from the goal line. But, you know, Aaron Jones played a game last year where they, where they, they split him out wide for one game and he just dominated. Packers didn't add any, any receivers really. So maybe their, their plan is to get Aaron Jones involved more in the passing game. So I don't want to, Aaron Jones isn't a guy that I want to completely fade because he does have that, that upside. He finished, I think number two last year in, in running backs. And he wasn't a guy I was really targeting, but he just keeps falling in certain drafts to the end of the second. And he kind of is at that end of that running back tier for me. Ronald Jones, I'm getting super high on. I was not high on him last year at all, but this year with Tom Brady, in that offense is going to be so efficient. He's as good as, you know, like Garrett Blunt was with, you know, with the Patriots a couple of years ago, you could see with that offense being efficient and him just getting you know, all the goal line carries. I don't like Jacques Vaughn at all. Um, I think he's, mm-hmm. I just, I think he's, he's an older rookie running back. I'm just going to fade Vaughn and, um, and then take Ronald Jones. So I've been getting him quite a bit in the seventh round. I can tell how much you dislike Keyshawn Vaughn because you replaced him oh, with Jayhawks a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm a big Syracuse fan, and Vaughn killed us in the in the in the, in the mid March Madness 30 years ago. So it's called car wash. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then Jonathan Taylor, I'm super high on. Marlon Mack doesn't scare me. Jonathan Williams, like Marlon Mack, went down last year in um, towards the end of the year for a week or two, and Jonathan Williams came in and just lit it up for them. And I actually remember that specifically because I plug and played him in a couple of FFPC main events. He scored on like a primetime game, put up like 30 fantasy points. So I don't, it's not Marlon Mack. It's not Jonathan Williams. It's the offensive line. It's the scheme. And now they have a running back with a very good skill set. And, I, you know, maybe he starts the year slow, 
but I think that he's one run, you know, one seventy yard run away from just running away with that, with that backfield. And he right now he's going in the fourth round of these football guys, and he's really hard to pass there. Yeah, I mean, he's easily the best player in that backfield. And it, Frank Wright can say what he wants. Uh, you don't take a running back that high if you think that he's the same as Marlon Mack. So I'm, I'm not buying the words, and I don't think that Jonathan Taylor has climbed too high to be in play, especially for lineup-setting leagues such as what we're talking about right now. Ronald Jones, the key for me there is I, I didn't love him last year either, and I certainly don't think he's a lock to deliver this year. But he's going plenty late enough that you're going to be fine if he doesn't deliver. I mean, you're not investing a whole lot. It's like round seven pick on him at this point. So if I take a shot on somebody in round seven, round six, and he doesn't work out, if that kills my team, then my team was already on life support. I think Aaron Jones is a poster boy for flexibility in draft approach this year, because I headed into draft season thinking that I was going to be totally out on Aaron Jones. He was going late round one early in draft season. And if he had stayed in that range, I would be zero Aaron Jones this year. But as you mentioned, he's been slipping and slipping and you can get him into the middle and late portions around two. And yeah, is he going to score 19 touchdowns again? <laughs> Absolutely not. But I mean, he could easily score 10 or 11 and still be an effective guy. And frankly, if Aaron Jones doesn't deliver on a late second round draft cost at this point, that'll be because his coaches screwed up, not because we screwed up by drafting him. Exactly. And I just hate... You know, one of the things I kind of learned over the years is it's not, you know, you don't have to figure out what the coaches should do. You have to figure out what they're going to do. And that's the hardest thing about fantasy is what are these dumb coaches going to do? You know, so I think you're right. Aaron Jones has the skill and, um, you know, I, I think they really like him there. But, you know, is the coach going to? It's the coach going to give him the ball and Ronald Jones, you know, the only thing that could really hurt him is if Jacques Vaughn does show up and turn into the <laughs> pass catching back. And then, and then Ronald Jones is in big trouble. <laughs> you're, you're just going to add fuel to his fire though. If you keep calling him Jacques Vaughn, <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> you're going to push Keyshawn Vaughn to outperform. And I think my favorite name that you mentioned though, is Zach Moss. And I, he's been a target for me too, for just the reasons that you said, if I had to bet money right now that he would outscore Devin Singletary, that's not a bet I would take, but that's also not a bet that's out there right now. Devin Singletary is going well before Zach Moss. Now, on the other side, I would also not feel comfortable putting down money right now that Devin Singletary outscores Zach Moss because, as you said, I'm not sure that Devin Singletary is a better player. Zach Moss is bigger. He's ready to take on the goal line stuff that the Bills did not want to give Devin Singletary last year, even though Frank Gore was the only other running back that they used in that range. So Zach Moss is bigger. He was an effective pass catcher in college. And if there is a Devin Singletary injury at this point, at some point this season, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities that Zach Moss steps up and then keeps the starting job going forward. Singletary was nice as a rookie. Zach Moss arrived in the exact same round. They're both third round picks. So it's not like it would be this amazing coup if he overthrew him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think if he just, if he just comes in, Moss and takes Frank Gore's identical workload. It's like 120 something carries. And I think he saw like 18 carries inside the 10 and scored on two of them. <laughs> so if Moss gets 18 carries inside the 10, he's scoring probably double digit touchdowns or close to it. And like you said, if Singletary go, goes down, Moss could be in for a bit big workload. Yeah. And even if Singletary maintains the lead role, we're talking about one of the few teams in the league that looks capable of uh, supporting two fantasy running backs. Yep. Who are you avoiding at running back? Uh, running back, so I'm avoiding kind of the older guys, and it's not that I hate them. So I don't have a lot of – I don't really have any Fournette. 
Um, I think I have one Fournette, um, David Johnson, uh, Le'Veon Bell, and then Singletary. So I've kind of been avoiding Singletary. I do have him maybe once. Obviously, you're going to have some of these guys when you do 21 drafts. But Singletary slipped to the late fifth or early sixth one time, so I took him there. I obviously handcuffed him with Moss. But you know, I'm just kind of – I'm over DJ. I'm over Bell. I'm over Fournette. Fournette had his chance last year. I mean, he still came in like seventh or eighth as far as running back scoring. But he had all the opportunity in the world to be – you know, a top two, top three back. And I just, I just don't want anything to do with those guys and where they're going. They're going, you know, in the fourth round, the fourth round is just, uh, you know, heaven for receiver. There's so many good receivers mm-hmm. in the fourth round. So I generally am I'm just avoiding running back in the fourth. And that means I'm out on all those guys. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any in 21 draft. I don't have any Clyde Edwards Alaire, and I'm not happy about that. I kind of want some of them, but it seems like every draft it's either, I, I pick at the, I've picked at the end of the first round most of the time so it's always a little too early to take him mm-hmm. uh, in my book and I, I would like to take him at the end of the second and every time I have a late second round pick he always goes early so <laughs> unfortunately I don't have any CEH and he's a guy that if I do do a couple more of these uh, football guys I'll probably just reach to, to take him just so I have some shares because he does have a mm-hmm. chance to be to, to be special this year yeah I think that's the way to approach him he's going too early to be a target I think but it's too good a situation to be out completely. So I think you, as you said, you want to make sure that you get one or two just in case, you know, Damian Williams goes down or they just commit to Edward T. Lair right away and he just explodes in Kansas City. David Johnson, anybody who's been listening to me and Jared talk knows that David Johnson's the one I've been um, pushing against. And he, similar to Zach Moss, he's a reason that I like to take a look at Duke Johnson right in that like round eight, nine, ten range. I mean, if you can get Duke Johnson in round 10, I think similar to Zach Moss, he might be the better running back in the backfield than David Johnson is at this point and and maybe running and receiving. So another guy that I like to target and I, I would be targeting more often if I were actually looking for running backs in that range. Yeah. Duke Johnson, you know, ironically enough, he might be this year's Kenyon Drake at the expense of, of David Johnson again, where the guy's just everyone in the fantasy world sees how talented he is. And uh, the coaches just like Kenyon Drake, don't didn't want to use him or for whatever reason don't think he's that good. Uh, if DJ goes down, Duke might finally get his opportunity and he might he, he might explode. So I yeah, I definitely have quite a bit of Duke in the uh, in that range where you're taking those handcuff backs. Yeah, fingers crossed over here. Wide receiver, who's got uh, your most exposure so far? You know, I got a lot of late round receivers, but so I've done 21 drafts again. I have Alan Lazard in in nine of them. So he's just a guy that goes so late. He's going mm-hmm. in the at 15, 11, like the end of the 15th round, and I just think he's going to be the number two receiver there. And um, so you know, he I usually get him as like my receiver six or something like that. And I just think that um, he has upside well, well beyond that. Um, I have Josh Reynolds in seven of them as as well. He's a guy that I end up. So I have a lot of the Rams offense. I like a lot of like I like Robert Woods. We're, we'll talk about mm-hmm. Tyler Higby in a minute here. Um, I just like the way that their offense is funneling. They're going to more of a twelve personnel, two receivers. So I think if that's what they end up going with this this year, I think if there's an injury to Cup or Woods, I think that Reynolds will slide right into that other position. Or if they don't go with a lot of 12 personnel, I think Reynolds will slip into that number three receiver role there. And I think he's he could be, uh, if something breaks right for him, I think he could be primed for a breakout there. Yeah, you know, people love to ask that question, who is going to be on every one of your fantasy teams this year? And you know, it's always, you know, somebody that they like in round five. But these are the every team guys, the guys yeah. that are going late in the draft that you, you know, just like them two rounds ahead of ADP, which is not crazy when you're talking about wide receiver 65 versus wide receiver 58. 
but that's the person that you that, that you throw on your roster because you know Alan Lazard, if he's the number two target in Green Bay, he's got enormous upside beyond where he's starting. And Josh Reynolds, for exactly what you just said, if we see a Rams offense that's more similar to what it was in the first half last year, then he's got big upside right away, and he's got the injury insurance angle. So I agree with the with both of those guys and the logic on that. Yeah, so I have a lot of those guys. I have those guys in a lot, lot of my leagues. Um, and if they don't, you know, if they get hurt or if they don't cut it, if if Lazard ends up fifth in the depth chart, I'll, I'll just cut him and, and mm-hmm. add somebody else. As far as receivers going, kind of earlier in the draft that I have the most of. So I have Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods, and Jarvis Landry six times. Woods have never been been high on, but after reading your guys' article or listening to the pod, and both both you and Jared are super high on him, it totally makes sense. So since then, I've been really been been hitting Woods a lot. In the, the fourth round um and then Lockett and Landry you know Landry's going in the seventh I like Landry every time in the seventh him him and Fuller I just think that he's uh, he started to come on really last year and I think that the, the targets there are going to be funneled to three or four guys he always goes below where he should every year and then Tyler Lockett I was getting nervous on you know with this um you know them signing a free agent whether it's you know Gordon or Antonio Brown but Antonio Brown now retired for the ninth time I'm not too worried about Antonio Brown signing there but I, I really like Lockett getting him in the, the, the late fifth yeah certainly sign off with those guys any anybody who listens to us regularly would know Jarvis Landry my only hesitation is the hip so if he checks yep. out healthy I'll be curious to see if he climbs ADP if he is you know on the field and the reports are good uh, by mid-August who are you avoiding it wide out? At ADP, I'm avoiding uh, Hopkins. He's going wide receiver four. I just, um, I, I, I only have one share of him, um, and I stacked him with with Kenyon Drake. So um, that was kind of the reason why I leaned Hopkins there. But you know, I'd rather have Julio there. I'd rather have Godwin, or I'd rather take a receiver. Uh, I'm sorry, I'd rather, rather take a running back or usually Kittle uh, if, I, if I can't find another receiver that I like there. So Hopkins at wide receiver four, I, I don't like. I just think he's got to work in an offseason with, with a quarterback he's never worked with before. And so I just think the target, he needs, you know, 150, 160 targets. And I, I don't I don't think he's going to get them. And then T.Y. Hilton, he's going at wide receiver 25. I just, he, he's always hurt. And uh, I think the situation there, again, with a new quarterback and Phillip Rivers, just, you know, he's just throwing. I mean, watching him last year, it's just the, Ball's coming out of his hand like a duck. I think he's done. Now, he does have a great O-line to protect him, but I think with the Hilton injury history, them not having a great rapport and the quarterback situation there, I'm not I'm not very high on, on Hilton. That is, that is 6-3 ADP. I like T.Y. Hilton better than you do, but Jared is on the same page as you. We've had that argument, I think, a couple times on here at this point. So I'll I'll put it aside for now. <laughs> and we'll go to tight end. We'll have other times, I think, to argue out these specific players. Who are you drafting most at tight end, including one guy you already alluded to? Yeah, so Higby's my, my guy this year. I love I love that there's a war on Twitter over over Tyler <laughs> Higby. Um, I just sit back and watch, and sometimes I interject a little bit. But so with, with Higby's, I think they're definitely going more to 12 personnel, which people will be like, oh, well, there's going to be two tight ends. Is that good for Higby? Well, it just means he's going to be on the field every single play. So I think last year, the rapport that he showed down the line with with Goff and just, I watched every, I'm, I'm a degenerate. I watched every single one of Higby's catches that he had last year. And, it, you know, it was a lot of quick out of, out of trips formations where they're quick hitting him. And I think he's a nice security blanket for Goff. I think Goff loves him and they built that rapport. I understand he went three seasons by, with doing nothing, but a lot of times tight ends take, take years to, to develop. And I understand it coincided with Gerald Everett being injured, but, uh, another guy I have on my list here is Gerald Everett. I have him six times as, as well. So uh, there's some drafts I'll take, and this is FFPC usually, so it's it's tight end premium scoring. Some drafts I'll take Higby 
in the sixth, and then I'll take Everett. He's going in the, in the 14th. And those will be my only tight ends that, that I take. And I'm, in my mind, I'm locking in a tight end one. So in my mind, either Higby's going to go off and he's going to be a top six or seven tight end, or it's going to be like a, a Ertz-Goddard situation where they're both doing very well and you end up with two tight end ones, maybe one higher, one lower, something like that. I know that it's very rare, but I think um, – you know, with them going to 12 personnel, Higby was very talented coming out of college. Everett's got, got the injury history, and they just signed Higby to a deal. So I really like Higby. I really like handcuffing Higby with with Everett. He's going in the 14th, like I said. And then I have a lot of Goddard. So I have Goddard five, five times. And a lot of that is just, you know, again, in these big tournaments, you want to take guys that have a shot to win you half a million bucks. And I think if, if Ertz does go down, getting Goddard in the ninth round, um, I think Goddard would be a top five to tight end. He's going right now at tight end 15. So that's just been, I never take Goddard as my tight end one. I'll always take him as my tight end two when I do take him and crossing my fingers that, um, that Zach Ertz gets, gets hurt and Goddard becomes a top five tight end. Yeah. Zach Ertz voodoo doll. <laughs> well, I have Zach Ertz a couple times too. So not, not really, but my teams, if Zach Ertz does go down, my Goddard teams are probably, will probably be in, in much better shape. Is there room to carry Dallas Goddard though? You think on a regular season roster if Zach Ertz is healthy? Because I, I mean, I think that if if Ertz stays healthy, Goddard's Goddard might be hard pressed to score at tight end fifteen where he's going right now in ADP. So that's really the, the question, right? Is is can they both uh, you know coexist? And last year they did. I know last year I started Goddard in the fantasy playoffs to, down the stretch because they were just mm-hmm. you know it was Ertz and Goddard, Ertz and Goddard. Now I get you know they, they they drafted some receivers, they're getting some receivers back. I totally get that. So Goddard's probably not a great starting option. So I would never take him as my tight end one. He's probably not a great starting option unless mm-hmm. Ertz goes down or some of these receivers go go down. But I think in FFPC tight end premium scoring, I think Goddard is certainly rosterable. Um, and maybe you know you start him during weeks when they play like really weak tight end defenses or something uh, and then of course if you have injuries in the the Eagles receiver core this year like you did last year which there's there's certainly plenty of room for I mean Alshon Jeffrey might not play for the Eagles at this point it seems like Deshaun Jackson we all know his injury history Jalen Rager is a rookie JJ Ortega Whiteside was not very good last year so there's certainly still room for it to be a two tight end offense again like last year who are you avoiding at tight end guys I'm avoiding um Jared Cook at, at tight end 12 so it's not really um i don't really mind him at tight end 12 and the premium scoring it he goes in the middle of the eighth round there i'd rather take some out some other players maybe some um you know some higher priced handcuffs uh, running backs or some receivers with some more high upside so i don't mind the tight end 12 but it's kind of where he's going you know i think that they brought in emmanuel sanders kamara will be healthy so i just think that there's enough targets for cook to really have a, a higher upside more than tight end 12 i think he's going to struggle to do that and then hunter henry tight end nine going to the end of the seventh round. I just don't, Tyrod Taylor just doesn't really do it for me. He's more of a, Tyrod Taylor's more of a run or throw deep quarterback, which is great mm-hmm. for certain players. Uh, it's just, I don't think it's great for for, for Hunter Henry. They're not going to have that rapport, I don't think there. And um, like, I'm higher on Mike Williams than most guys because I think my, Mike Williams is, is their, their deep threat, but I'm fading pretty much everybody else. Um, I'm really struggling with Austin Eckler too because I don't think he's going to check the ball down a lot. But so Hunter Henry is just a, I'm really fading the chart the Chargers offense, and he's obviously part of that. Well, those guys will be in luck by week four when uh, Justin Herbert's in the lineup, though. That, that is true. So I don't. That is one thing I don't know how he, how he'll fare with with, with Herbert, uh-huh. but it's just one of those things where I'm willing to fade him at, at the, in the seventh round. I'd rather have you know Will Fuller every time in the seventh, or even Higby in in, in the sixth. 
Yeah, and it's a pretty busy area at tight end where Hunter Henry doesn't, even though he has slipped a little bit in ADP, he still doesn't stand out to me. Cook and, and Henry are both guys where I, I'm okay with with their ADP, with, with their draft price right now, but they're also not guys I'm drafting a whole lot because it's hard for me to reach for either of them, or you know, not even reach, for go get them when I am high on somebody like Blake Jarwin who's around for several more rounds, and I know that Jay Sternberger is going to be on the the board much later, you know, like you're saying, I can, I can look at wide receiver at that point instead. Exactly. And that's kind of what ends up happening to me too. I usually either take a tight end early or I'm targeting Higby or I'm just waiting to, to gobble up two or three tight ends, maybe in the kind of the guys you, you were mentioning in the 11th, 12th round, 10th, 11th, 12th, even, even Dawson Knox is a guy I like in the 15th round. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to do it for this first episode of the Draft Sharks High Stakes Podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now for rankings, for the Mock Draft Trainer, for your customizable MVP board, and the complete list of competitors for the DS Invitational that we mentioned earlier. All the high stakes players, all the analysts that will be throwing down. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Adam is at Adam underscore Krautwurst. I am at ShoutDS. For Adam Krautwurst and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.